Well, Lauren, he's back. And who would that be, Judd? It's Napa Valley's sharpest dressed man. There's no competition. I know once a Huffington Post called me Napa's dapper man of style, which is true, by the way. However, this dude, always on point. Is that an overused phrase, on point? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's Eduardo Dingler. How are you? Uh, great to be here. He's dressed to kill for his radio appearance once again. We'll have to post a photo. Where? I don't know. But I'm happy to have you back. Today we're talking sake. Sake and other things that come with sake. Absolutely. Okay, I'm excited. I love sake. You're one of the reasons I love sake. So I can't wait to hear what you've got to say about it because uh, I'll just soak it up and take it out in the world. Thank you. No, it's, it's a big, fun thing. And we're going to talk about pairings, uh, very exciting things, and then a little bit of the writing that I've been doing, and a little bit of everything. Fantastic. We're in the lobby of the radio station right now, so there's all this other noise. So we should make our announcement and get out of here. We invite you to join Judd at his family's winery on the south end of Silverado Trail, Judd's Hill Winery, located at 2332 Silverado Trail, here in Napa Valley, California, USA. That's right, Lauren. We'd love to see folks. Our neighbors here in Napa Valley are welcome. Our visitors from everywhere else in the world are welcome. Whether you're a sake drinker or a beer drinker, we will welcome you and pour you some fine wine. Visiting information can be found at judshill.com. While you're online, what else can happen? You can look up quirky videos and lots of wine poetry and even put some wine in your shopping cart. Just for being an avid listener, type in coupon code JNVS, all lowercase letters, please, and you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. That's a great deal, Lauren. And what do you think? Could we even do better than that somehow? You can join the Judd's Hill Wine Club anytime, day or night. That's it. You'll get a great deal on the wine. Guaranteed to try all our wines, invitations to fun events and parties and uh, who knows, maybe even a sake or something. I'm going to talk to Eduardo about this. we got to pair up somehow. The Wine Club definitely is a guaranteed good time, and so I think is this show. So let's get right to it. Well, let's get away from all this noise and into the studio. (laughs) Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON Studios in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Finkelstein. Good morning, Lauren Mole. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Judd. Top of the day. Top of the day. Lovely to see you, as always. What is the latest in the world of Lauren Mole? Well, I recently got to go see the uh, acapella extravaganza on Saturday night at uh, Lincoln Theater in Yonville. And how'd that go? I'm happy to report, Judd, it was a wonderful success. <laughs> Glad to hear that. That's wonderful. Were you performing or just taking in the uh, performance? I was in the audience, Judd. Just in the audience. And it was delightful and delicious and it everything was, was great. Okay. All the acts were spectacular. Good. Including Good. one that I liked uh, the most, Take Flight. Uh, what, what, caught, what caught your ear about them? Oh, because uh, they do a... Some of my favorite songs, like uh, You're Making My Dreams Come True and uh, a couple of other songs. (laughs) Wonderful. So um, 
do, I've asked you this before, and I don't recall the answer. Do you personally, Lauren Mole, have any performances coming up? I'm so used to, in the past, you're always plugging, I'm going to be singing here, I'm going to be appearing in this performance, I'm going to be uh, at this major league sports stadium singing something. What's coming up for you? Well, as far as I know, uh, the NBA champion Golden State Warriors uh, at Oracle Arena in Oakland, but not until March. A specific date has not yet been determined in that month. Okay, this is what the word. That's right. I remember last time we talked with uh, Todd Zapolsky was in and huge Warriors fan, and you guys were going to try to figure out when it is you're singing. And I remember he wanted to go see that. That's right. And maybe I'll join him. Maybe Who you got to let me know the date though. That's the key. Sure, I will. Okay. Yeah, but this actually maybe uh, one of the last uh, times that we'll actually get to do this uh, before the Warriors move back to San Francisco to the new Chase Center, which I'm very excited about. You're looking forward to that? Oh, I am. Okay. Are you, are you a big sports fan? I mean, I know you get excited around oh, playoff yeah. time, but I don't hear you talking about it throughout. Is it, you just kind of keep it under wraps. You're a little more cash about it until uh, uh, I until it's it's. I, I have heard that right now that um, the NFL is heating up. That's right. The Super Bowl's coming up. Is it really? It is. When is that? Uh, that's uh, I think it's February fourth. <laughs> okay. And I'll be rooting for the New England Patriots. Oh yeah, are they uh, in contention? Yep, they are. Oh, that's good. I have a feeling that it's probably already decided. You guys are both looking at me. We have a guest here. We haven't introduced him. You can pop in. You can talk. We haven't introduced you, but I, you guys are laughing at me like I should know all this stuff. Is there? So it's set. Who's going to be in the Super Bowl? Yes, it is indeed. It's the the Patriots against the Philadelphia Eagles. The, so you can see how. How excited I am about that, <laughs> how much I'm paying attention. My tradition is um, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest sports fan. I mean, I can take it, leave it. I get interested sometimes if something – it's a long story that I'm not going to get into about how I kind of uh, lost a lot of my interest in professional sports. But I still enjoy going to games, but I just don't really pay attention. So our tradition over the past several years has been on Super Bowl Sunday to go find something that would normally be crowded on any other day. Uh-huh. And go do it. So we've gone to you know the Academy of Sciences or gone skiing, and that was kind of fun. We we did skiing a couple of years ago, and early in the day it was it was pretty crowded, like most weekends would be. And then by about two o'clock, like right after lunch, awesome. just that a is, ghost town. A like yeah. just ride up, <laughs> ski down, ride up, ski down, ride up, <laughs> ski down. It was phenomenal. Maybe I'll. Maybe I'll do that again this year. Okay, that's cool. Well, yes. good, good, man. Yeah, so I look forward to your singing in March. Yeah, well, I'm very, I'm very looking forward to it uh, this yes. year. So, uh, so what's been going on with you, Jed? I'm sorry you couldn't make it in last week. Yeah, me too. Me too. Sudden uh, change of plans, but glad to be here this week. Always glad when I'm here. What's coming up at the winery? We have our annual Valentine's Day pickup party. Ah. And that sounds... Great, and it is great, but I think some people get the wrong impression when I say it's a pickup party. Um, it's, we, we call it that. It's so our wine club members can pick up their wine, wine yeah. you know, save on shipping, show up, pick up the wine, have a party. Other people think it's like a Valentine's, singles, get and that actually has happened as well. Um, so my motto is pick up whatever and whoever you want. You know, it's, it's, it's open. We, we don't judge. We're just there to have a nice time, and that's going to be – Sunday, February 11th, apparently a week after the Super Bowl, I'm just finding out, noon to 2.30 at Judd's Hill, and all kinds of good stuff. I won't get into the weeds on that, but it's worth your while, free for wine club members, and if you're not a Judd's Hill wine club member, and especially if you're local, you should be, 
because these parties are no extra charge. You come get your wine and get a good deal on them. Information is at judshill.com. Click on events. And while you're there, you can also check out our Mississippi River Cruise coming up in April, where I will be on board hosting from April 15th to 22nd, 23rd, something like that. It's from New Orleans to Memphis. I'll be doing some wine talks. There's going to be tastings, a welcome aboard party, a wine paired dinner, all that great stuff. Excursions are included along the way. Let's have a little bit of Americana as we cruise up the Mississippi River on a luxurious, I'm told, the world's most opulent paddle wheeler. Whoa. Yes. Information also at judshill.com under events. We'd love to see you for any and all of our events. Come by. We'd love to see our neighbors. We're at the south end of Silverado Trail. Open daily by appointment. Give a ring. Let's do a show, shall we? Sure, Judd. Okay. Our guest is a masterful mingler who loves to talk sake, that delicious tongue tingler. He's been here before, so let's give him the floor. The sartorially splendid Senor Dingler. Hey. That's quite an introduction. Thank you so much. Right on, Eduardo Dingler. Welcome back. This is your uh, second appearance, I think, as a full-blown uh, guest. You've called in during uh, some of the emergency uh, times during the fires, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. No, it's a treat to be here. It's certainly look to, something to look forward all, all year. <laughs> That's kind. Well, I always enjoy talking to you, whether it's on the air or... Somewhere or off drink, the air, or off the air, drinking and eating something fabulous, which you always seem to be involved in. And um, uh, Lauren mentioned in his introduction the sartorially splendid, and that is your reputation around town as Napa Valley's sharpest dressed man. And even here for his radio spot, Lauren. I mean, look at this guy. He's got the nice button down and the V neck. He's got a blazer. He yeah. is projecting style. <laughs> Even though we can't see him. Well, you know, I actually well, I like can, that. But, yeah. Well, as you, say, you project, I believe, is Thank you. what yeah, you no, said. I mean, why not? My, my grandma especially and my grandpa as well, they always taught me to, to dress, dress well. He, they said, you never know who you're going to come across. And if you feel comfortable, just go ahead and do it. And that's something I've always enjoyed. I, I can't go out in pajamas. That, that would never <laughs> happen. <laughs> so. It's okay. Well, you know my uncle, Dr. Steen. He's been, a, he's been a guest here many, many times. Yeah. I think that he, um, you know, if it's after 5 o'clock, he puts on his coat and tie just to be ready to do whatever just comes for the evening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's up for it no matter what. So you have been here before, and I was debating how much of your background we want to go over today uh, just because we did it last time. So mm -hmm. I, can, I can direct folks who are listening to look up the podcast of, um, you know, I didn't copy down the date. But if you go to iTunes Store, look up Judd's Napa Valley Show, scroll through till you'll see uh, Eduardo Dingler. Uh, you can hear a little bit about his background, but let's hear just the nutshell, just to catch people up to speed. You've been around Napa Valley a long time before that, from Mexico, but have been in hospitality and restaurants, really have quite an amazing story. So if you wouldn't mind, just in your own words, briefly, give us the, the nutshell story of who you are and your background, and then we'll take off like a rocket with what you're doing now. Yeah, I guess uh, without putting anybody to sleep, um, I was uh, <laughs> born and raised uh, in uh, Torreon, uh, which is a city in northern Mexico. It's mm -hmm. right in between the Monterrey and Chihuahua, middle of the desert, if you will, if you can picture it. Very industrial. It's up to a million people now, roughly, if not past. But uh, it's historically, it's been a cotton-growing uh, region, a lot of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. But most importantly, and something that has to do with why I'm in Napa, it's the oldest winery in America, 
It's about 30, 40 minutes from the city. So it's Casa Madero. It was established in... In all of the Americas. In it's all of the Americas. Whoa. Yeah, established in the 1500s. Wow. And so it's something that always caught my eye. That together with my, my uh, grandpa my, on my mom's side, who used to make a little wine in the basement, being Italian. <laughs> sure. And so that, that always drove me into the wine and the beverage industry. Uh, not to drink wildly, but <laughs> to educate and, and, and be an right. educator as well. So that, that drove me to Napa Valley. Eventually, we moved here in uh, 1999, in October. So it's a few years now. And I've, I've made Napa Valley my home. And I, every time I travel, uh, I miss it. So that's when you know that, that where your heart is. Uh, I'm a big fan of the community, and I've seen it grow in a lot of ways. Um, sure. Been throughout the valley. I've worked at several restaurants that actually made me who I am, and uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Mostly Italian food, um, Bistro Don Giovanni, Trevigna, then lately uh, Morimoto. Um, that's where I, I sharpened my sake teeth. If you yeah, know. yeah. Well, let let. Okay, thank you for catching us up. I think that's <laughs> that's, that's great. And I've. I've I think I've probably known you for just about that long. I mean, it's been about 18 years you've been in Napa Valley, and I've, I would imagine I've at least known of you or you know recognized this guy. For, oh, we we certainly have all, gone at least 15 years back. We we've, at least we've known each other at yes. least, and it's been great to see what you've done because from the outset, I think the first time I became aware of you was either at Trevigne or where were you? Probably Don Giovanni or Don Giovanni, maybe. Giovanni, yeah. Something like that. Just as such an enthusiastic, friendly, obviously have a knack for hospitality. Like you're memorable in a very positive way. So like, oh, that's a guy to keep an eye on, you know. <laughs> and it it certainly worked out for you. You've worked at these different restaurants, and then you said most recently the last restaurant you were at was was Morimoto was here Morimoto in Napa. Since inception in 2010, all the way to last September. The opening team, and you were the. I don't know your exact title, but you were like the g- global bigwig of all beverage <laughs> service or whatever it was for I, his uh, whole empire. That sounds too fancy, but uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm, I was but the, I'm uh, fancy. You're fancy. GM Come on, here in Napa, where it started, and then doing the beverage program, and then I took over the uh, the global beverage role, if you will. Okay. So, uh, but always based in Napa and and enjoying the floor and and everything they had to offer. So, I'm a big fan of hospitality, as you said. It, indeed, now, it, it shows. So it was here that you really became enamored of sake. Apparently it had already, you know, obviously you knew about sake a little bit, have had it at Japanese restaurants, but Morimoto is where you got into sake, which is basically your professional life now revolves around sake. A lot, yeah, mostly. Actually, um, it was, I consider Morimoto going to, like, university. It mm-hmm. was th- certainly, I, as you said, I, like, enjoyed uh, hot sake at the mom-and-pop places here in town at Sushi Mambo, at uh, Fujiya, the outlets, oh, yeah. little places like that. And then I started getting a little taste for it, but it wasn't until, as you said, Morimoto, during our training there, it was a two-week training, and it was component tasting and tr- tasting all 60-plus labels we had on the list, and it really, like, sunk in. And, and n- not only the sake, but the culture, the, col- the Japanese culture, the way that things are done. The food, all these things that encompass that just – I inevitably just fell in love with it. Can I read a quote? Sure. <laughs> yes. Thanks. This is from – we're going to get into this too. A column that you wrote. You are now a regular columnist for Napa Valley Register, which is very cool. So something you wrote last month on the 21st of December, and uh, you're talking about working at Morimoto. And you said – well, working at Morimoto – put me on a path of a romantic relationship between the Japanese culture 
including the food, the people, and of course, sake and me. A romantic relationship. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Don't say that too loud, but yeah. I, well, <laughs> I don't know how much louder I can say it. We're talking into a microphone to uh, several people around the valley. So do you want to expand on that? What, what was it? How did you enter a romantic relationship? And I'm using air quotes here because uh. I'm, I have a feeling it's not exactly as – anyway. Yeah. <laughs> You're using metaphor here. Exactly. Okay. Let's, yes. let's put it that way. <laughs> Indeed. So, so how did you enter into this romantic relationship? Basically, yeah. as I said, putting my foot on, on, on the beverage to, to start with, I mean Chef Morimoto's food, and mm-hmm. then from there going into the, like the, the more traditional or classical um, Japanese way of doing things. And it wasn't until my, my first visit to Japan that it really just – wow. Everything since I landed in Japan the first time, and if you could only imagine when you land on, land on, um, on Narita or Haneda Airport, it's almost like Total Recall, like that movie with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, it's a little too futuristic, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, it was hard to even buy the the train tickets because by then there was only the screens, and you could put it in English, but it was still all gibberish at that level. Hmm. So I landed there, and then I took. Uh, the train to the Tokyo station, and then I went to Niigata, which is dear, really dear to my heart. It's a rural area on the western side of Japan. Famed sake comes from there. Very, yeah. yeah. It's the highest concentration of breweries in that region. Hey, Lauren, do you want to know how I know that? How? I learned it from this guy. Ah. <laughs> what <laughs> a coincidence. Ed, from Eduardo. And you remembered. Yes. So uh, I land in this little town, and uh, I'm awaiting uh, for my room at this hotel um, in Niigata City proper. And I went for a walk, and I decided to just go. And my first instance was this older lady carrying a couple bags, like she was going to prep dinner for the family. And she stopped in front of me as we were walking towards each other and bowed. And that was like something really amazing that I I never expected. She Mm. was just clearly a town that doesn't see a lot of tourists. And uh, here I come. And I had my jacket on, and it was 90 degrees and full humidity. She was probably kind of giggling in the inside. Look at this tourist, but it was it was amazing. From there, I, I, I traveled to a couple shrines and just killed some time, and I, that really put it in perspective. Just the, the way people in Japan are are so aware of the 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 people around them and how they treat them. It's amazing. And you have made. I'm, I want to jump right back to this. I'm just mm-hmm. just inserting this. So you've now made a career of sake education, sake promotion. Your website sakedrinker.com. Uh, is there. You Neither can go there now and sign up to a, be on your mailing list. There's not a lot of info on there now, but but it comes out in, in email. So you're in Niigata, and you're – is this the first time you've seen sake production happening? Uh, yes, indeed. That was, I mean, I've seen it in, in uh, certifications and papers and, and learned about it, but seeing a brewery, this was the actual first time. And what struck you? Oh, my God. Paint I mean, the picture because this sounds great. This sounds so, like an ancient – Process. This is a city renowned for it. What What is it like to see it happening? So I'll, I'll back a little bit. And, and going on the train and on my way to this brewery, I'm trying to play it in my head. How is it going to be? Is this going to be like a, a very um, uh, like a clean and, and sharp and old sterile place, big and, and like a machinery and what's going to happen? Is the, the owner of the brewery who's, who I've, ne- I've met before going to pick me up in the Lamborghini because he agreed <laughs> to meet me halfway? From the train station, and I, I explained these things in my head. It's like I really hope it's not not too mechanical, as I imagine. And to my surprise, I land. We get to this 
to the brewery. And in the meantime, we, we drive through all these rice fields, and you're seeing how everything's made, how he's telling me the story. Once we park at the brewery, it's this ancient building. They've been, use, they've been using it since 1790 to brew. And it was more wow. like a, a, I don't know, like a church, if you will, in, in, in soccer terms. Uh, the door to open the brewery took like two people to open. It was a massive slab of wood, and it's been in place since, ever since. And then they have a little uh, area where they have the older artifacts that they used to make sake with. And then you go into the actual brewery, but still very little technological advances. There was it's a lot of gravity uh, flow. Mm-hmm. This is a very historical, historical brewery. They had the first woman brew sake in, the, in Japan. I mean, this is in the 50s. They almost oh. got burned to the ground for doing that. Really? Yeah. So a lot of things that they really stood for and they, they really believed in. And then we, we went into a, a, an area where they have almost like a little cafe, almost like an Italian agroturismo where they have like – it's the winery and then they have the, the, the little restaurant aspect to it and they, they serve the local fare. And it was outstanding. We're sitting in this low-to-the-ground little tables – Every single dish was served in this tiny ceramics, and you have, like, an array of 20 to 30 different components in here in front of you. <laughs> and this is the, the best part is you're looking out the window, and it's an actual shrine. It's all these beautiful manicured gardens with, like, f- statues. Mm. So talking to Kenji, who, who was hosting me, he said he grew up there, and he would run around in between those uh, little statues and everything. That was his... his He's uh-huh. upbringing, which was really fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I guess the analogous thing is me growing up in the vineyard and being able to run exactly. around the vineyard. But that sounds wonderful. Is this – what is the name of that brewery and is it the only one in that town? Like when I hear about Niigata Sake, is it only coming from this one brewery or are there uh, no, other breweries? No, actually, Niigata is the prefecture. Oh, that's the prefecture. Okay, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so there's several uh, little towns in, in within. I've had to uh, – I've managed to visit a few of them since mm-hmm. then. The brewery is called Ishishima. Mm-hmm. which means one island. Ichi is one, yeah. Shima's island. And uh, historically, this used to be a, a family that used to control and have a huge piece of land all the way to get into Tokyo. So ever since, it got, it's gotten split and split, and, and now it's just a, it lands in this little town. But it's, it's a beautiful um, way of making sake, very avant-garde on their labels. You remember, is the white bottle with the orange writing on it. Oh, I remember very well, and I should mention to folks listening, the reason I know about this is for quite some time, one of my favorite things to do, if I could get a night off, uh, my wife and I could get a night off and um, just kind of go do something in Napa, we would often either make our first stop or our only stop uh, to go see you in that little front room, uh, which at some time at Morimoto, you were doing sake education. You could sit there, have a flight of sake. You would be there and personally, or one of the fine folks that you had trained would talk about, you know, each bottling, the brewery, the prefecture, the water of that prefecture, the the sea salt that comes from that prefecture and and pairing that with a little taste of salt and the salt. It was just incredible. So that definitely is one that stuck out quality-wise. I didn't know the whole story. Now that I hear that, it paints even a bigger picture, and I like it even more without even Uh sipping it at the moment. (laughs) Yeah, no, It's very cool. Because to make sake, you have all all these components that are very um, strikingly uh, dramatic. So the water, whether it's soft water, hard water, you have the rice, could be several strains of rice, which lend to a lot of the flavor in the, in the actual final product. And then the yeast gives you the aromas. And some prefectures have their own uh, natural occurring yeast, and they share it with a, a group of growers there. Others purchase from a bank. And then the koji, which is this mold that it serves to, uh, to facilitate the, the sugars out of the starch. 
Do you want to talk about that? I mean, we're in wine country. A lot of us understand wine, uh, being in the business or surrounded by it. You know, grape juice, yeast, fermentation, uh-huh. wine. I mean, there's a lot, of course, that el- a lot else that goes into it, some, some artistic uh, flair. But, you know, growing up, going to Japanese restaurants, I always heard people who may have really not known about sake, except that it was there on the menu, oh, it's Japanese rice wine. But we know that's not exactly no. That's the first misconception. So let's talk about what it is. Yeah, I mean, saying rice wine, it's helped people um, get familiar with rice and with sake, and just kind of make it something in their head. Like, oh, it's good to drink. It's it's similar to wine, Mm -hmm. but in fact, it's actually brewed, and the process is more like beer. And uh, actually, something very unique happens when the sake production is called multiple parallel fermentation, in which let's picture it real quick in in a fast forward fashion. You uh, harvest the rice. It goes through a drying process that could take months. And after that, you uh, mill it. You mill down the outer layers of the rice, right? So that's yeah. what determines the designation. Is it uh, uh, daiginjo, which means it's the purest form, closest to the heart of the rice. That means milled down the most? Milled down to 50% or more. Okay. So if you can picture the, the grain of brown rice. Uh, if you only take a couple of the layers out, like very little, you create a junmai or a honjoso, so it's like a little rougher style, more earth, more terroir, if you will. Hmm. And then a junmai ginjo or ginjo, it's like right in between. So you polish this. The brewery gets the rice. They either do it in-house or purchase. And then they uh, wash the rice. They steam it. After steaming, you split it in two batches. And this goes uh, into a very meticulous room. It's, almost, it's a cedar room in most cases temperature controlled, and in a very ceremonial way, you add to half of it yeast, to the other half the koji, which is the small juice for soy, miso production, whatnot. So once the stew are already starting to get activated, then you start doing additions, little by little introducing them, and this is how the whole process starts. The modern method of of fermentation could last up to two weeks, Hmm. and the old methods, which is Yamaha or Kimoto, can uh, you can assume there's gaminess and richness to it because the bacterial it, it takes up to a month to to brew. Wow. So from there, as you said, there's a lot of flair, and you can do different methods of extracting the actual sake out of the mash. You can be fancy and like this brewer in Hokkaido builds an igloo every year, <laughs> hangs the mash, and no pressure added, just a drip method, just at the purest expression. Otherwise, you use a, a classic box. It's called fune, and they are, you have these blotters and push the the sake out of it. So that's another thing. And then th- there's pasteurization, there's dilution, there's all these all this exciting things, factors that some prefectures adopt, and you can assume they're always like that, even though they're not regulated like Cava or Champagne or something like mm-hmm. that. But uh, other other producers are really out of the box and just trying to play things around, and it's, it's fascinating. I mean, and this is the most captivating thing for me about breweries. I've never been to one where they're in there for the money. They're... Their profits are very tiny, and they're always riding pretty pretty low. They don't charge if there's no craft involved. And they're more worried about passing it on to the next generation. Hmm. This is something very important for the Japanese culture. So some of the breweries have been to their 8, 12 generations, and that's what they're interested in. And, and actually, in most cases that have been there, it's the younger generations learning as we're there. So the, the young 19-year-old kid, it's like, really getting into it and looking up to their, their parents in this case. Right, very traditional. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm curious, as somebody who has recently gotten into sake, I know a little bit, maybe more than many because of you, thank you very much, but for folks who really know nothing but would be interested in trying some, how do you determine 
what it's going to be like. If you look on a sake label, Mm. how can you tell what's in the bottle? How do you know? How do you know what? Get, so, well, go ahead. Yes, you, you're already answering the question. Yeah, basically, I mean, the front of the sake label is usually going to be all gibberish, right? It's going to be kanji. So look at the back. If you don't speak Japanese or read Japanese, exactly. it's going to be very hard to decipher many sake very. labels. And even, even a lot of uh, Japanese friends have a hard time reading the kanji sometimes because it's mm-hmm. very artistic in a way. Oh, so I see. So in the back of the, of the bottle, there's a label that's required by the importing um, of the sake, and you will find certain words in there that, that will lead you to the style of sake. So you can generally assume that a Junmai or Honjoso on the label, when that's the only designation on it, it's going to be a richer style. So if you enjoy Cabernet, Syrah, whether it's from California or the Rhone, and richer kind of like more funkier styles of wine, yeah, you can assume Junmai or Honjoso is going to be your friend. Junmai or Honjosu. Exactly. And those can be amazing with a hamburger with pizza, with the okay. Italian food, it's it's really – it's making my mouth water. It's early in the day. But um, – Yeah, I guess I hadn't considered, you know, going into, you know, an Italian restaurant, either, you know, like Filippi's, Pizza Grotto. Yeah. You know, you think you order a glass of Chianti or something yes. from hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> you know, I actually but, like that place, Judge. I do too. That's why it's I mention amazing. it. Yeah. But very traditional, you know, red sauce, you know, linguine with clams, whatever, big meatballs. You would say you could have a Junmai or Honjosu sake. Absolutely. And that would work. I put my name on it. Okay. We'll talk. Otherwise, I'll, I'll bring the bottle and we'll talk. <laughs> but definitely, um, and think about it Italian food shares a lot of things um, uh, with Japanese food. The umami qualities that mm. are found in mushrooms and in soil. These things, tomatoes have some of those qualities, and the cheese kind of adds to it, the parmesan and whatnot. So it's, it's an amazing natural pairing. Uh, and I love it. Another designation you'll find is Ginjo or Junmai Ginjo. And that's going to be more versatile. It's like your my ace under the sleeve. It's like <laughs> most likely it's going to go both ways. It's going to be fun and, and sometimes can be a little fruity or crisp and different things. And then when you get to the Dai Ginjo or Junmai Dai Ginjo, you can 90% of the time assume it's going to be a softer style. It's an elegant, feminine Kind of like really um, submissive style of sake that's going to be very soft on the palate, hmm. very floral. It's going to have all this fruit, and and f- like going to the a funeral and smelling all those flowers. Not in a bad connotation, but having all those layers of of fun things that remind us of things in the nose. So going back to when I would come in to get a little education with you, we'd often have something to eat as well. Mm-hmm. And one thing I would get was the what do you call it in the menu? It's sort of like a bibimbap type thing, but with the, oh yeah, yeah, with the the, the slices of fish mm-hmm. and the rice and the vegetables. It's a play on the bibimbap on the Korean dish, which yeah. is a hot ball about four hundred degrees. Yes, and then there's uh, rice, there's a, uh, a farm chicken egg, there's uh, there's uh, hamachi or yellowtail uh, sashimi on yeah. top, and then mixed table side and have all this. And that's what I remember. I th- I think that's what I. Maybe first had the Nigata, nigata uh, sake that you yeah. brought, where I first Ichishima, discovered yes. Shima. Ichishima. Ichishima. Thank yes. you. You said it earlier, and I'm still struggling <laughs> with it. a lot of... And, and that seemed to go great. What, what style? That one is a Honjozo. That is a Honjozo. So it's a That's... Honjozo, and I find that one to be a little more refined than, an actual, than a regular Honjozo, in the sense that it, it, was, it was done with a special yeast that they have at the brewery, and it was kind of like a, a softer, yet... It didn't let anybody build him around. It had this mid palate that was like, "Hey, I'm here," but it was very soft. It was like a like a sumo player. It's like, 
<laughs> like a sumo sumo player hug, right? It's like, oh, come here, buddy. It's like a bear hug, <laughs> but it's like it could be stern at the same time. <laughs> That's why I was breathless. I thought I was just astounded <laughs> by the quality of the the pairing. It was actually there was a sumo player hugging. <laughs> uh, that was great. And then there was one. Um, we would move on to, or actually, I think we finished with that. Now I think about it. We started with a little. Um, it's either sashimi or maybe just like a shirashi, which is basically uh-huh. just sli- plain sliced fish over sushi rice. Uh-huh. And that you would serve with what style of – traditionally, what would you what would you? Traditionally, pair? a daiginjo would be great. The junmai ginjo or junmai daiginjo mm-hmm. would lend to a, a, f- a friendly approach. And you got to keep in mind, uh, with uh, sake, you don't have the same things you have in wine. You don't have this, the acid, the tannins, so aggressive, right? So it's, it's not as drastic. So you can assume you're going to have a pretty uh, – uh, level even like playing fields of pairings. So Junmai Ginjo, Junmai Dai Ginjo, ideally will be a, a softer style that you can play with with uh, plain fish when you don't have the big sauces or meats or, or whatnot. So pretty fun styles, especially if it's in Niigata, if it's a uh, Hyogo region of Japan. Um, even Fukushima has some amazing examples. I'm trying to take notes while you're saying all this, but we're going to have <laughs> to talk. And if folks, day, yeah. we got to take a break. We are going to keep talking about this, mm-hmm. so folks, don't go away. But just in case someone has to get out of the car or whatever and go somewhere, they can contact you to find out about your sake Please. events through sakedrinker.com? Yeah, Eduardo at sakedrinker.com or okay. uh, the Facebook page, Sake Drinker. Uh, we're, we're doing a lot of events. We did one in Miminashi a couple of days ago. We're doing a couple in San Francisco. And we're doing one at the CIA at Copia uh, coming up soon. So, yeah. Great. Look we up. will talk about those again. You're not going anywhere. I just <laughs> got to take a break and wanted to get that info in case someone has to go. But otherwise, stick around. We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Judd's Napa Valley Show. Every episode, a veritable cornucopia of Finkel fun. At 1440 on your AM dial in Northern California and streaming live in Beijing, China at KVON.com, back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. Here I am. I'm playing Carpenter. This chair is falling apart underneath me. <laughs> Lauren, thank you very much. Beijing, China. I don't know. The, yes. It, I guess if the well, Internet since we're, is... Since it, we're talking China... Well, we've been talking Japan, actually. Right. Uh, which I think maybe... <laughs> I don't know about Internet. I've, I heard... I hear things about maybe not as free the access. So if you can find us in Beijing, if you can get to the uh, Apple iTunes store and and look for Judd's Napa Valley Show or stream KVON.com, listen to us there. Listen to us in Japan. Listen to us anywhere the internet is uh, free to be you and me. Our guest is Eduardo Dingler. He is uh, a good friend of the show. He's been here before, and today he's talking about sake, which he is a world-renowned expert in. Uh, he travels around the world, particularly Japan even. He's been asked to go to Japan to judge sake. That's got to be an honor when somebody from over on this side is being called over there to judge sake. No, that, that was a very humbling experience, certainly. I've, I've done it twice uh, for the uh, Japan Wine Challenge and Sake Challenge. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, multiple facets to this judging, uh, which takes place in, in Tokyo proper. Yeah. And uh, there's a, uh, a sake portion to it with the, uh, the world's, world's leader in, on judging sake uh, from Japan. And then there's also a, a wine challenge, and then there's 
with a lot of masters of wine and people that I really enjoy hanging out with. And then there's a cider challenge as well, which was added this year, which was pretty fun. Wow. In Tokyo. And, uh, what yeah. a gig, man. I know. Life is what good. What a gig. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to join you. Let's go. Recently, I had an opportunity to enjoy some sake that was brought to me by some friends of the winery, some uh, mm-hmm. customers, some wine enthusiasts who show up about every other year. Uh, from Japan. Uh-huh. They travel to different wine regions every year. There's just there's two sisters. They're lovely, and they just love wine. I bet you've even come across them. But anyway, they brought us a couple bottles. There's not one English word. I don't read Japanese. I couldn't decipher. So it was kind of like, well, let's see what happens. And uh, we had a shabu-shabu night nice. just at home. Yeah. You know, I looked up some nice recipes and made this uh, kind of miso or kombu, mirin kind of broth. We put seafood and vegetables. Delicious. And uh, cracked this bottle of sake. I knew nothing about it, so I still can't tell you what it was, uh-huh. except that it, it absolutely completed the experience. Nice. You know, we started off with a little wine in the evening before we got to the shabu-shabu, but with those, once we got into those Japanese flavors, the wine would have been great, and we would have had a lovely evening, but there was something about just including the beverage as uh, well, uh, along with the meal. Just to rounds com- up that. It, it rounded it flavor. out. So I'm excited. I know that you have a, had a moment where you discover, like, this is, this is a thing. Sake is a thing. I don't remember my particular moment, but I do remember that there were two people involved, and actually quite different times. And the first was... Um, well, I guess this one person actually counts as two people, but it was in, in one experience, and it was uh, Lissa Domania and Hirosone up Absolutely. at Terra. And they often have sake. Well, they always have sake, mm-hmm. but we would often try it at Terra. But we went with them once to uh, Hana uh-huh. over in Rona Park, Ken uh, Tomanaga's mm-hmm. restaurant. And they really perused and picked out some really special sake to go with the dinner. And I was floored. I think that was the first time I really saw that sake could be this wonderful, elegant, uh, experience-enhancing complement to a meal. And then through you, sir, Eduardo Dingler, by uh, hearing you talk about it and then popping in to to uh, get some education over a few different evenings and tasting with you and hearing you talk about it, really opened uh, up that world to me. And I'm, I'm very grateful because it's... Uh, I said it's meal enhancing, but meal enhancing to me means life enhancing because I take <laughs> my food very seriously. Absolutely. So thank you for that. And you've brought a bottle of sake here to discuss. And, yeah. And there's absolutely. not much, there's a little bit of English. It says premium. I see the word yeah. premium. <laughs> that helps. That's yeah. about it. Um, how do I know what I'm getting here? So basically, uh, on the back, uh, as I said, on the label, it uh, has to be by law. Oh, there's some English. Some English there. <laughs> okay. And, there, and the alcohol levels and all these little things mm-hmm. that, that you know as a winery yes. owner. So it's a sake from uh, Niigata. Uh, not Niigata City, but a little south of the city. Okay, the same area uh, we were speaking of earlier. In the same region. And uh, one of the, the, the big uh, things of Niigata is ha- it has this um, mountain range, like the Japanese Alps, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, Shigo Mountains. And all this snow melt that comes, and they get feed and feed of snow every winter. All that translates into the water that goes into the sake. Uh-huh. Also, a couple of beer breweries that are outstanding there. So this one specifically is in the Nechi Valley, which is on the on the southern part, as I said, kind of sits. And this brewer specifically, he fell in love with Burgundy early on in his life. 
So he started going to Burgundy. He said, how can I apply Burgundy into my sake brewery, which has been uh, making sake since the 1800s? So what he did is he did a series of things. He bought a couple plots around his, his brewery, which is a very humbling, very little garage, fancier. It's like on the outside looks like Kenzo restaurant here in Napa, if oh, you will. Okay. Really beautiful, simple. And so he bought this plot. He uh, planted several strains of rice in different plots. And him and his son do the whole farming. They plant, they harvest, and they have this uh, accelerated dryer in the, in the facility, which allows them to do two things. First of all, control his rice from top to finish, because a lot of breweries purchase the rice from uh, uh, several regions. But not only that, but also by accelerating the, the uh, drying, he is able to uh, do vintage sake. So the same oh. year that he harvests is the same year he brews, which is it's impossible to do if you don't have a, a dryer like that. So he really is a big proponent of putting the terroir and the, the vintage in there, which is most people in Japan don't really relate to as brewers. But it, it's amazing. We got to sit down with him and try a few different vintages, and it was outstanding striking differences. And that's what this bottle is right here? Yep. This is the Yuki Misake uh, from uh, Nechio Tokoyama, and it's a Junmai Ginju. It's got a little a little richness to it. It's it's not, not a shy sake, but it's at the same time very elegant. I... I I mean, maybe it's just because who he is, but I find it to be like a, a, a Burgundian, red Burgundian style of, of, of sake comparing. Okay, so with that comparison, should I be drinking this with something with Japanese flavors or something subtle like just some raw sliced fish? Or should I go – you said Burgundian. Should yeah. I do something you know, French, continental? What what? What I mean, should I eat with this? I would certainly say don't limit yourself. So if okay. you want to do um, enchiladas, do some <laughs> crab enchiladas at home. We're in crab season, right? Yeah. That would be an amazing pairing. But also another thing that I, I keep thinking about that I would love to try with this is the um, – um, it was not meatloaf, but something you made last time I went to visit you at your house. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was a homemade salami with gr- ground beef. It kind of – yeah, it was <laughs> denser than a meatloaf, but it was rolled up and – it was out on the smoker for several hours. Yes. Yeah. That with this, I think, would be amazing because the smoky flavors and, like, all this richness mm. and umami from the meat would be really outstanding with the, the fruit that this one kind of delivers. So that would be really interesting. And I'm so up for the challenge anytime. Yeah. We could, we could go over to uh, Red Rock or somewhere. Yes. And <laughs> Absolutely. Or the queue. and little brisket or, bar or tri-tip. All right. That would be a fun place. Let's put that on ice. Now, sake normally – you said it's normally not vintage, but is it normally aged ever like wine, or is it usually just fresh? Like when you get a oh, – well, go ahead, and then I've got a follow-up question. Well, yeah, um, yeah usually um, for the general part, the brewery will, will age the sake prior to releasing. So some breweries tend to do like a one- to three-year aging in bottle, no, no wood, nothing imparting flavor for generally, and then they release to the market. And then you have about – uh, anywhere between six months to a year, ideally, to drink the sake. Mm-hmm. So it's recommended. However, aging sake, it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form. So if you can buy a bottle and age it one, two, three years, and if you have the means and the, the, the storage room in your cellar, and you can buy six bottles of this one sake, and you enjoy one bottle fresh, and then you enjoy one in two years, and then five years, and then you start seeing the trend. That was my follow-up question. Can you hold on to it? Should you Absolutely. hold on to it? Absolutely. Okay. It definitely it it gives lends to a little more richness more than anything, and umami and these bigger qualities to it. That's not like upon release. Mm. However, it it could be an amazing amazing event. Also open, 
So a friend of mine got me to do this in opening a bottle of sake, dating it in the back, having a couple glasses, and then leave it in the back of the fridge. Forget mm-hmm. about it. Three, six, uh, nine months is the longest I've done so far. But unlike wine, sake never turns into vinegar. Just the components of it just landed to be continually um, gaining layers, if you will. And not in an oh, opulent way. Not, okay. like, not like a cheesy way. And not like as far as a Madeira style. But it gains a little layers and richness. And so you taste it. It's a mouthfeel. So one of the things that we, we experience at home uh, is uh, Laura went and seared a little lamb, put it in the crock pot with some vegetables, some carrots, some potatoes, a little bit of rosemary, sage, you name it. Mm-hmm. Leave it there overnight and forget about it, right? You put it in low temperature. Yeah. Wake up with the best smell around the house. And around for lunch or dinner, you enjoy it. With the sake that was open, mind you, for nine months in the back of the fridge. And, <laughs> I mean, that pairing could not have been better. It was like angels, like this hairy-chested angel singing in the background. <laughs> you got delicious. that, Lorna. This sake is, and food pairing is a hairy-chested angel singing. <laughs> Good heavens! That, that is a metaphor. Um, thank you. So that gives me hope. I think I've got a little of that sake left from oh, a few perfect. weeks ago. Yes. So I will... It's in the fridge. I'll go back to it. I wasn't sure if I should. Running short on time now, but I want to point out to folks that you are now writing a – is it a regular, semi-regular, a very irregular column in the Napa Valley Register? uh, It is very regular. And actually, I've I've gotten very lucky um, that Sasha Paulson, the director of the the Napa Register, um, allowed me to come and write uh, about everything. So my regular column goes out on every Friday. Friday. And it covers – it's called From Wine to Sake. So it covers a lot of wine experiences – and anecdotes and, and information about sake that, or about wine that I've lived and gone and, and tasted. Like, for instance, we did one about the West Coast Sonoma uh, vendors, uh, one about Riesling last, uh, last week, but also covers a lot about sake. And um, sake so far has been about my experience, how I got to it, a little bit of production. This Friday is going to be about hot sake. That's a, a big question. Yeah. Everybody asks me about hot sake. So I put a, together about eh, 800 words worth, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, other parts of uh, the, the writing include articles on, on local chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to start rolling a local uh, bartender right up your alley. Rocco, meet the bartender in, in, uh, in the Napa Valley. Yeah. And I submitted recently a, a review of a show. So uh, a little bit of everything, <laughs> which keep an eye for that one because you are mentioned. I you? am. Yes, you are. Oh, dear. And, uh, okay. So a little bit of everything. And uh, I, I never, I've never been much of a writer myself, but I have – falling in love with that good. hobby good it's, it's amazing i obviously have some great editors to tell me this is a run-on this is a coma <laughs> it's like all these little <laughs> yeah. things but the actual writing it, it's hard to stop me and i can just sit there and, and for Super. two hours just disappear it's congratulations amazing. well Thank you're you. i know you're an artistic guy so i just want to mention briefly are you still doing your art i know you paint I, that still yeah, as a little I'm still hobby. doing a bit of, a bit of okay. painting every once in a while. Good. Really you brought us a it. painting last time, so that's <laughs> good to hear. You have YouTube videos, so folks can look up, is it under Sake Drinker, or if I put your name in, Eduardo? You can either put my name or Sake Drinker, and there will be a series of shows yeah. we've done. It's sort of, a, we try to keep it regular. That's more regular, if you will. But it's a monthly show, uh, ideally. And we bring th- several guests. You've been on, on our show. I, and yes. we cover anything about sake, from uh, pairings to cocktails to like history and we try to make it really exciting the format's been about 30 minutes long and even though on the later episodes i've been shorting it down so it's easier and faster to digest yes and the average person can sit down and watch it i don't recommend it while driving 
That's something that a lot of people do, but watching don't. a YouTube video or drinking sake. But no, no, yeah. neither. But <laughs> so, since we're short on time, if there's like one statement you want to make, since we are in the heart of wine country, and you're talking sake, and I know your love of wine has not faded, oh, and you're no, still very no. into it, what do you want people to know about sake? What's 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 that phrase? Well, I I think people shouldn't be afraid of of sake, and um, it it should be like a, a really uh, welcoming thing to a different culture and experiencing it. And trying it out with different foods. And no, do not put yourself in a corner by enjoying it only with Asian food. Just anything grandma's cooking or grandma's recipe at home, pull out a bottle of sake and, and try it out. Well, here we go. That segues perfectly into this next question. I'm not going to ask you the question I normally ask, which is, do you go nuts for donuts? Because you've been here before and we know the answer is yes. <laughs> um, but I want you to take a look at this selection of donuts that we've got here today uh, for you. Uh. And since you said don't be afraid, which... One of these donuts would you like, and then what type of sake would you pair with it? Wow, I am never – I've never gotten a strawberry before. But oh, the pink really glaze, <laughs> man. That looks great. And you would have that with what? I would certainly do this with a, uh, a sake from Miyagi Prefecture, which is north of Fukushima. And it tends to have this beautiful, almost reasoning-like qualities. Mm. And it has a, a spark of, a, of, of acidity. And I think uh, that's what I'm going to do when I get home. Okay, please do. <laughs> and now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Madeline. All right, Eduardo Dingler, you've done this before, oh. so we're just getting right into it. I need the name of a person in the room. Well, uh, Lauren Mole. Lauren Mole. Okay, there he is. Now I need the name of another person in the room. Well, the man himself, Judd Finkelstein. <laughs> okay, thank you. Got that. How do you spell that? Um, how about a celebrity of any of any sort? Um, how about Ravi Shankar? Oh, Ravi Shankar, famous sitar player, musician, philosopher. Okay. A geographic location. Could be anywhere. Anywhere in the world. That you, anywhere um, you can imagine. You know what? Why, why not buried under a tree in Morocco? <laughs> <laughs> why not? Hold on. <laughs> buried. I like your creativity. Buried under a tree. In Morocco. Okay. Next, an adjective. You've used a lot of them today. Um, let's go for obtuse. Obtuse. Another adjective. Loud. Loud. And another adjective. Weird. <laughs> like how that was on the tip of your tongue. I've been thinking about the weirdness here. Uh, how about a noun? Um, a, a thing. Dog. Dog. A, dog. a plural noun. More than one thing. Bananas. <laughs> All right. Bananas. And finally, another noun. Uh, let's throw a monkey in there. <laughs> monkey. You got it. All right, Eduardo. Earlier today, I was looking online. I found your column of December 21st. Uh, it was online at the Napa Valley Register. And uh, here you are describing... A little bit about what you got. What got you into sake? Are you ready? This is you talking about yourself that you've rewritten. <clears throat> Here we go. It wasn't until Master Chef Lauren Mole and Sushi Master Judd Finkelstein, all right, we've, we've made it, Lauren, <laughs> came to town that I tasted cold premium sake in the hands of sake expert Ravi Shankar. Hey, who knew? Add that to his resume. I vividly remember ordering a flight that included three sakes. Uh, that had been buried under a tree in Morocco. <laughs> That's where they came from. <laughs> Who knew? I cannot tell you exactly what the selections were, but I can certainly recall feeling like everything turned from obtuse and loud 
to weird. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. From that moment on, I became a believer. Then I had the opportunity to be part of the Morimoto Napa opening. This transition inevitably put me on a path of a romantic relationship between the dog, (laughs) bananas, and of course... A monkey and me. <laughs> oh, man. What oh, a note no. to end on. Give that man some more sake. Eduardo Dingler, thank you very much. Sakedrinker.com. Indeed. And, uh, keep, and Facebook keep It's going to come out soon. Yes. And Facebook. So find out about all your uh, events coming up. So. Absolutely. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you. It's such a treat. Any day. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gillamar production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.